Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Well, we're about to start our message this morning on the, resh- the next installment of Reshape, but today's slightly different. Um, Rob came on team a little over a year ago uh, to, to help us with our operational side of the church. And part of Reshape is to consider how does God want to develop, grow, shape everything, not only at a very deep and personal level, but at a corporate level, at a church level. God loves the church. And so we just thought it'd be great if Rob were to share a few th- bits of information about how we do what we do and what we do with what we do. So let's welcome Rob as he comes up and shares a bit of information. Let's get the first spreadsheet out. No, we're not getting spreadsheets out this morning. Um, it's just, this is just a, uh, we want to give, that's what Mark said, an overview of kind of, of kind of the health of the church, really. When we're talking about reshape, we're talking about getting healthy. And I just want to pick a few areas of our, of our church life that it's really sometimes we don't see when we just come to maybe one meeting, one service. We kind of maybe don't get the full picture of who we are and what, what we do and what we can do together. And I think for me, the bigger thing was, what can we do? You know, kind of, are we doing all that we could do or what more is there in us? And that's, that's the exciting thing. But the first thing was, um, you know, the, the heart of it, just to start all of this is, as a church, we know that we're called to be disciples, who reproduce disciples. And that's definitely our heart, that we want individually, each one of us, to become more like Jesus every day. That's really, really important to us. If we did nothing else, that's all we would do. (laughs) That's what we want to do. But the key is we want to reproduce disciples. And if we're going to reproduce, that means we've got to grow. We can't, reproduction doesn't stay as one. You know, there's some mathematicians in the room. You know what reproduction and multiplication is. It grows. And so that's kind of the heart of where we're coming from this morning. Um, last year, about May, June time last night, we installed a new system in the office called Church Suite. And lots of you will be familiar with it now because we've been emailing through Church Suite. Some of you, you've got your own Church Suite login. Hopefully most of you have got that. If you haven't, please do come and see me afterwards and I'll make sure that we set, remind you and resend that to you. And it's a way that we can stay connected well. Um, as a church, we can share stuff, but it also helps us to track and to be able to communicate really well. Um, and so I've taken from Church Suite some things we're able to categorize and things like that. So the first, the first slide I'm going to show you is our attendance. Kind of what is the average size of our church? Because if you just look around, you think, oh, what have we? We're about 150 people. Well, let's have a look. So I'll take our first slide, which is that. Um, this, is, this is the size of our church. We have 105, this is at the end of 2018, so these, have, these will have changed in this, in this 2019, but the end of 2018, 105 partners, they're people who are committed to carrying our values and vision, you've seen the partnership cards, you've heard Mark talk on partnership recently, that's really important to us. There are about 200, around about 250 regular attenders on top of that, and there are 150 youth and kids regularly, this is people who are regularly attached to our church, so we're the regular Life of the church is about 500 people. Now, it's very easy to sit in a one thing. Oh, 
that's a bit bigger than what we are, but that is the reality of who we are. We're about a church of regular people, about 500. On top of that, you'll see underneath that, there's about another 600 or so people who are occasionally attached to us. And that includes people like Pebbles families, like our kids and families, and others who are just occasionally. So it's a really good, really good healthy number. If you know that the average size of a church in the UK is about 40 or 50 people, that says 500 is a really good healthy church. So be encouraged, you're part of a great healthy church. That's what the first thing. But I got to thinking, what would happen though if we saw, let's say, 25% growth in the church this year? What would the figures look like? And if you're wondering why I say 25%, well, actually, in 2014 to 2016, we did see about 30 to 40% growth in those years. So this is not kind of a pie-in-the-sky number, but this is what 25% increase would look like this year. Partners would grow, regular attenders would grow, youth and kids would grow. That takes up to over 600. Now, you're already thinking, oh, what does that look like as part of our facilities and things like that? Well, that's part of the reason, I think, for, for raising these things now, is for us to start thinking about what does this church look like if we grow. Um, that, those figures of kind of 30 40% growth over the few years that we had them, we, last year we seemed to hit a plateau, and this is not to be negative, but we spoke to... Um, a number of other large churches over the last couple of years, and they told us all told us the same thing. It's happened to all of them. It happens in businesses and organisations. When you reach a level that you can't continue to grow, you stop. <laughs> and what's that for? That's for reshaping. You have to then reshape in order to start again. Many of you will work in businesses. You'll have seen it. You grow, 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 and then hit the buffers. What you have to do... You have to change things. You have to move things around. What happened last year, this time last year, week of prayer and fasting, what did God say to us? It's time to reset the foundations. What have we just been this series? It's time to reshape. I think God's trying to tell us something. We can either stay on a plateau and leave our ceiling be where it is, or we can think about how do we grow. So maybe God's trying to tell us something. If it happened again the following year, Again, you can suddenly see there's sort of nearly 800 people regularly involved in the life of the church. Could we cope with that? There's nearly 1,700 on the fringes as well. That's, that's a lot of things to do. But why? what's happened in this year of resetting foundations? I think, personally, we've seen a real focus on life groups, on discipleship. I don't think God will send us people that we can't disciple. That's my honest opinion. I don't want, I've never had a heart, I don't think Mark has, and any of the leaders here, and I think anyone in this room, we haven't got a heart just to build a huge church full of consumers, full of visitors who just turn up for an experience. Our heart and our desire is that people would become disciples, that would affect their life, it affect their families' lives, it affect every sphere of their lives and their community. So I think that's a big part of what's going on. How do we really disciple people better so think about that um but if we were about that size what what might we have to think about we'd certainly have to think about the number of services we do again or we'd have to think about multi-site or we'd have to think about developing our site developing our site is definitely on our on our radar we would love to do it but you know those things take time and even in the meantime 
we've got to, I think, get our mindsets around if God's doing something, we've got to do something. And we're part of the answer. He's not going to, he's not going to zap a new building onto this place. He's not going to zap anything. He asks us to make a plan and go for it. So there are things to think about. Next thing I want to look at is finances. Again, we've never done this in church before, but this was last year's finances. It's a, you can see the income there, about £500,000. That excludes the income that we get from ARC. So I've taken the ARC preschool out of it because that's going through funding, but that's a really important, about £140,000. Penny does an amazing job in ARC, and ARC is growing. It's a really significant part of our church. But just not to confuse what's on the board there, I've taken ARC out of it, and you can see this is where that expenditure is then spent. There's um, boring stuff like depreciation, which has to sit in the accounts. There's site and facilities, there's ministry costs, there's management and admin costs, there's mission costs, and then there's staffing. And see staffing there is about 57, um, about 57%. That's a really good ratio um, for churches of our size. Actually, uh, recently we heard of a church in Cheltenham, a larger church than us, whose staffing ratio was 62% of their income. And we've had other people tell us that it can typically be between 60 and 80% in very people organisations. So I think that's about the most that we want to be going, to be honest, because our heart is really to be spending much more of our money into mission and into ministry. So, but with staff, it's just, it's a bit of abstract, but the important thing with staff, staff's not just there to be paid, staff's there to work. <laughs> this is what, this is how that 57% is split. 24% of that is on pastoral work. 24% of that goes into missional stuff. That's local and international. People focused on missional work. 21% is on operational ministry support. So that's support in ministries in the church. There's 17% on admin, and there's about 14% into youth, children, and family. So that's just, again, to give you an idea of where our money goes and is spent in the church. But... Our big, our big heart is that, actually, if you, if you added staff, ministry, mission, and all the other stuff we do, it's about two-thirds of all we spent goes towards ministry and mission. Because all staff work, apart from that 70% of admin, pure admin, is into ministry and mission. That's a really good, healthy thing. Our ambition is to give at least 10% of our income into mission work. And, ultimately, we would like to see that figure grow every year in line with our value of increasing generosity. Do we think that's a good thing? I think it should grow every year. Um, and we've already, this year, made a commitment. So, for example, with our, we are one of the core lead churches of the CAP partnership. There's five partner churches that run the CAP thing this year. We increased our contribution to that by 12.5%. I, I think one, of the, one other church gave more. The others didn't. I want us to lead and to be... Incre- uh, that value of increasing generosity is not just words. It needs to be reality and it needs to be action. So that's an example of something that we want to do. But what could it be? Actually, if you, if you add the, the missional part of what the staff does plus the 9% that's currently there in the expenditure side, it's about 18% of all that we've got goes towards missional stuff. Well, again, it's a good, healthy thing. But what could it be if we could get that figure to 20%, 
of 25%. Can you imagine what difference that could make locally, internationally? They're the things that I think that we need to be thinking about as a church. How do we reshape to make sure that where we get goes to the place where God wants it to go? Okay, so that's finances. There's one, there's one more slide. This is, this is what we give each month. 35% give regularly, at least once a month. 60% give occasionally. Of those who give regularly, there's an average of about £210 a month. I think that slide, this is not to criticise anybody, I think that slide is here to tell us there is room for reshaping. There is more that we can do. That slide says to me, we can do more. I've kind of, as I was thinking about it, the one word that just came to mind to me was, sometimes God asks us to give sacrificially. And if we end up having to do a big church development, I can tell you guys, it'll take sacrifice. Do you remember when we were talking about the 90-year celebration, when the guys were nailing in the floorboards praying? They sacrificially gave so this place could be here. And at some point, maybe God's calling us to give sacrificially. This lie tells me, I'm not even sure that we give faithfully. And so I think the starting point should be, as a church, we should be looking to make sure that we give faithfully to what, is, to what God calls us to give. So again, it's, it's, certainly I'm not trying to, I'm not up here to kind of crack a whip or to, it's not. It's just to make us aware that we can do better. That's what reshape's about. What, and I, look at, I have to look at myself. What can I do better? What can I do more? So that's just... Um, that's important. It's one of the things, actually, mentioned just as I did the offering, just doing things like gift aid and standing orders. They're all good, healthy practices that can really help us as a church. Okay, next thing, and this is a really great slide. Um, we had recently had our serving celebration volunteers, so this is, this is brilliant. Last year, we think it was nearly 15,000 hours of voluntary time given from the church. I think you should give yourselves a big clap for that. It's just amazing what you do. <clears throat> And you can see that was split between kind of what people giving time into Sunday services, into youth and kids. That's about 75% all to do, but there's community social action. There's some people giving time for operational support, people giving time for pastoral care. Um, I've said circa 150 volunteers. Actually, I think that number is underestimating, maybe by about 30 or so, what... Um, because that's taken from people wrote it onto church, but I believe is a bit more than that. But that's about 30% of the church. That's an average of two hours a week, which makes that. But again, thinking about what could happen if we, say, increased by 50 volunteers and we gave 10% more time. Well, if we did that, that would be 200 volunteers, 40% of the church, an average of 2.2 hours. That's over 1,200 extra working days of time that the church could give. Is there capacity in there to do it? At, at 40%, I think there is. That would be the equivalent of four and a half full-time people <laughs> working. There's a lot that we can do. Um, like I say, our heart is to see that everybody in this church finds their calling, use their gifting. That isn't all up here, by the way. That isn't all in the cafe that isn't all bound by our boundaries your calling your capacity your gifting for most most probably the majority is in your workplace is in your homes is in your community and as a church we want to make sure that we can help to equip and develop and fuel all that 
Um, that's that's kind of the end of my slides. It kind of as I was thinking about it just last night, just before I kind of went to bed, no one was going to be talking about this. I just remembered my both my grandfathers were pastors in in the church I grew up in, Wales, small little Welsh Pentecostal church. Both lay pastors. Grandpa Thomas was a miner and a farmer, and Grandpa Lewis was a caretaker. So both bivocational did jobs. And I can only and I remember seeing them both preach. But I mean, I was very little. But I remember distinctly the only message I, I remember hearing from my, my grandfather, Grandpa Thomas, my dad's dad. And it's, I don't think it's probably recorded anywhere, but I remember it vividly, him preaching on, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tent of the wicked. He said, it's loving the church and being part of the church was what he gave his life for. And, and as a family, it impacted, obviously, my dad, and, and it's, it's gone generationally. The church is what, it was Jesus' idea. <laughs> it, it, wasn't, it wasn't our idea. And we've been talking about it in staff team over the last few weeks, that idea of, I don't think there's anybody in this room who doesn't love Jesus. This, the majority of you would really say, if you said, hands up, who loves Jesus, you would. But I, it was just this thought of, if we said hands up who loves the church, I think some people might just think about it. I'm not quite sure. Do I love the church? Jesus loves the church. And we should love the church. And that the idea behind these slides is that it could encourage us to say, what more can we be? How, what does this reshape look like? How can we love the shape better? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Rob. What a fascinating uh, set of inf- it tells you so much, doesn't it, about where people's hearts are. It tells you where my heart is. It tells you where our... That's the shape today. If we put that slide up in one year's time, what's going to change? We all have a responsibility. I, I'd want to see those numbers move big time. I, if, I, if, I, if we look at those numbers the same next year, I'd be going, what's really going on in this church? What really... Where is the buy-in, the ownership, the collaboration. You know, we'd love to have lots of other information on this. And, but by the way, the church is fantastic. I mean, I love the fact that we are, as a church, we own all our own facilities. We, there is no debt in this church. We are in one of the most amazing places to build, build, build. And it's, it's what are we going to do together? And so I'm going to pick up just for a few minutes. It's going to be a lot shorter than usual in terms of a preach element because we want you to get information as well as a bit of impartation of spiritual uh, thought on this. But we are shaped to love the church. And Rob's absolutely spot on. Um, we don't always think like this because sometimes church globally has had a bad rap in places. But the true church is what God has designed and built and created for a purpose. And pretty much all his kingdom activity runs through his church. You know that. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and God is growing it globally. So let's just have a little look at it. Francis Chan, one of my favorite speakers and, uh, you know, amazing guy. He said that God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him. Okay, that's a challenge for us because many of us don't like change. In fact, we were out uh, this week doing some training as a team, and we heard that 65% of people don't like change. And if you don't like change, our default will be to push back against it, 
Now, I'm not saying we would in this church, but we've got to be really careful that our response to a challenge is not that I'm going to kick back here because I do enough. Actually, God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to trust him. And it was, it was funny, you know, this week um, in the prayer meeting, uh, Grace, who's Dr. Grace, I don't know if Grace in this service is probably the next one, uh, she came out on, on platform and she said, this Reshape series is amazing. Um, I've, I feel like I've lost so much weight. And what she meant was the spiritual stuff. There was so much stuff that was going on in her life. She said, it's like stuff is just coming off my life and I'm actually able to refocus and reshape my life. And she described that as weight coming off her. And that's what this series is all about, stripping back what we don't need. Mind you, I did hear an interesting story about a guy who went to his doctor because he had one of those weight loss patches and, and went to the doctor and said, is it true, is it true that um, I'll lose weight if I put, wear a weight loss patch? And the doctor paused for a moment, looked at him and said, well, it will do if you stick it over your mouth. <laughs> but actually, it's a funny thing. I didn't plan this. I, I, I have lost over a stone naturally since Christmas. In fact, it's nearly one and a half stone. And I didn't be, go on a diet. I, didn't, I don't know how it's happened, actually. Um, somehow I prayed in December, God, I want to be in better shape myself. And I prayed it. I spiritually, but I said, God, help me to think differently about food, exercise, and behaviors. Help me to get my mind around change without it being a stress on me. Because there's a lot going on in the life of the church and outside. You know, we're a people business, we're a people community, we're a people organization, we're a, we're a body of people, and it's not just this church, it's globally. And it's, it creates a lot of pressure. And, and I, it was just amazing. I've just realized the pounds have dropped off. And I don't feel like I've done anything towards it. And it's just extraordinary. So God answers prayer. Let me tell you, what could happen in this week of prayer and fasting? I joked with the staff and I said, if I lose any more weight, I, you know, I normally lose half a stone during the week of prayer and fasting. It, I, could be a little, I could be an 18-year-old all over again. <laughs> I think my wife would like that. But <laughs> anyway, she's smiling at the battery. Anyway, let's move on because we, we we're kind of keeping this a bit shorter this morning. But uh, it's exciting times. Matt, you know, what's the first place in the Bible... The whole Bible, and really it's from the New Testament because we know that God, God's plan was to create the church. What's the very first point in Scripture where we read about the church? It's actually in Matthew 16. It's the very first mention of the church. And I want to read this. Then he, Jesus, asked them, this is the disciples, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, by the way. That's what that means. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Now, he'd been with Jesus for some time already. And he says, makes a comment like that. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Full stop. You did not learn this from any human being. You see, your brain cannot learn revelation. You can't. Your spirit gets it. If you don't allow your spirit to get a revelation from God, you won't get it. It'll always be an argument in your head about the logic of what you're in. And if we, as we go into this week of prayer and fasting, if your brain is defining you and it's all about your logic and that doesn't make sense, this isn't right, I don't like that, 
you will never get it, what God is doing. You have to allow your spirit to come alive to what God is doing. And then you will get it. Then you will see what God is doing. Then you will understand why, why the church is something that Jesus gave his life for. Right? It's not just you and me individually. He gave his life for the church. And if we play roughshod with it, if we mess around with it, if we criticize in the wrong way with the wrong motives, and if we use our human thinking to start to do damage to it, then God is the one who will want to know about it. What is our response? Who is Jesus to me? Who is he? Who is Jesus Christ? Is he just the God that's out there that I turn to in my crisis moments? Is he the God that, you know, what is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What does Christianity mean? What, what is this relation? Is it a relationship? Do I actually know him? Do I know about him? Do I know that he was born, he died, he gave his life? Do I know the theology of it? You might be brilliant with the theology of it, by the way. Some of the greatest theologians on this planet, by the way, don't follow Jesus Christ. Did you know that? And the number one theologian in Britain in one area of theology is in Birmingham University. And he is not a Christian. You can know all the knowledge and have no relationship. It's about what's in our hearts because our spirits are moved by God. So who is Jesus to me? Well, let's find out about who Jesus is. What is the church? If he gave his life for the church, what, what's all that about? Matthew 16, 18, 19 says, Now I say to you, say that you are Peter. Now Jesus addresses Peter by name. I, you see, Jesus is asking, who do you say that? I am. Now, I'm going to tell you who you are. Once you start to engage with who Jesus is, he starts to reveal to you who you are. How are you going to get that revelation unless you have a revelation of who Christ really is? Not that you come to church. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and, and that does, that's what his name physically, you know, in linguistic terms means. But upon this rock, Jesus is playing with this now. I will build my church, the first mention of church in the New Testament. And all the powers, in some translations it says, gates of hell will not conquer it. You see, all the powers of hell are trying to destroy church. They're trying to do it. The powers of hell are trying to destroy church. Why are they trying to destroy church? Because the church is the vehicle of God's kingdom. That's why. So it's a bit like the faithful or sacrificial. What is church to me? If church is just that place where I've got a community of friends and we just do a few jobs together because we like, it's more than that. This is the body of Christ we are in. You are in the living body of Jesus Christ. You're in it and we're in it together. Look at that. It's amazing. Um, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. All the powers of hell are trying to destroy the church. Never let yourself be part of what the powers of hell are trying to do. Never allow yourself to get there, to be in that place where, where you can't see spiritually what God is really trying to do. Verse 19, but look at this. This is, this is power packed. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be for, forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be Permitted in this is absolutely this is exocet territory. This is explosive. This is God is revealing to Peter 
what the nature of the church is. Now, we haven't got time this morning to even unpack all this, but let me just tell you this, some observations, that Jesus builds his church on people. He identified Peter by name, who was one of his leaders. And whether we like it or not, there is leadership dynamic going on in the church. And God has created that. Ephesians, uh, we know it throughout Ephesians. We know in Hebrews, we know in other Gospels what God is doing. We know the gifting that God has given to the church to build the church up. We know it. So he's building on people. He's building on, in this case, he's identifying Peter. Peter was one of the key leaders of his discipleship group. I'll build my church. Jesus is building his church, not Peter. Jesus is doing it. The enemy will try and destroy it, and God knows it. And that's why God will move things around in his church. He will move stuff around. He will remove and he will insert. He will reshape. That's why this series is so important. He is reshaping us. We've got to be willing to be shaped by his thinking, not by our preconception or definition of what he should be doing. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. This is huge. We don't like to get our heads around this fully or don't even know how to. But do you realise God has given the church the ability to, to release things and to stop things happening? He's actually given the church the ability to do that. He's put his ability to change situations into the hands of his church. That is mind-blowing. If the most precious thing you owned, you gave to someone you hardly knew, you just saw someone in the street and said, look, here's the deeds to my house. Here's the deeds to my house. In fact, you could, here's, my, here's my, my logbook for my car. You can have that. In fact, these are all my bank PIN numbers. Would you do that? I'm just going to give these to you. I, I, I'll trust you <laughs> to look after all that stuff. I know it's an extreme, but you see... We didn't know him. He knew us and he took a risk with all of us. And he's taken a risk with us. Now, let's just unpack that because we're talking about the church. What is the church? The, the Greek word is ecclesia. Now, sometimes people who think they're smart with the word ecclesia think the ecclesia is just the individual. It is not the individual. It's the called out, gathered group. That's what an ecclesia is. It's not just, you are not just an ecclesia because you know Jesus Christ. Let me tell you that. It's a misunderstanding. The word ecclesia defines a called out group of people normally into a public place. So you don't be, you're not defined as ecclesia just because you're at home thinking you're a Christian. There's a called out public dynamic of gathering when we look at the word ecclesia. How do I know that? Because if you go and do your own research on that word, you'll know that this existed as a word way before these scriptures were ever written. And did you know in Athens, um, there was an ecclesia that was 6,000 people strong? The center of kind of philosophical um, thought in its day and Paul, the apostle, would have known that. And why would he use these words? And why would the writers of the New Testament use these words? Because they knew what people would understand them to mean. So in Athens, it was a city-state, um, a center of knowledge, had its own dynamics going on. But the Ecclesia, there's a hillside um, near the Acropolis where, where between 10 and 20% of the population would gather on almost a weekly basis. And they, at that point, they would reason together 
various decisions about their community. That's what the ecclesia is. And that, so when we talk about ecclesia and we put the word church in, and there's all sorts of reasons why the word church is great to, to map onto that, but that word ecclesia is used over 111 times in the New Testament. It's, whenever you read the word church in the New Testament, behind it is this word ecclesia. It's the called out, gathered group, and typically it's large. Sometimes it's small. But you see, when some people say, oh, house church is the only way, it's not true. In Athens, it was 6,000 people. But there are times when church is small. But there are times when it's massive. And people argue against large church that that's not God's plan. Then why did he use the word that describes the very thing that all these people understood? Because it, it, God was not restricting his own hands and feet to our human thinking because certain things have got to be spiritually discerned. Isn't that true? If we say you can't do church like this, you can't do leisure, you will know them by their fruit. You will see it when it reproduces or doesn't reproduce. That's the challenge. You'll know it. So God knew exactly what was it. All scripture is God breathed. There's a reason why that word is in there. And people have attacked that word and people have used all sorts of other things. So why should we love the church? Okay, so Jesus is making no restrictions on what the church can be. Apart from it's got to be God-centered and follow Jesus Christ himself. What do we know? Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives. This is shocking now. We've gone from power base to intimacy in two breaths. Husbands, love your wives. How many husbands love their wives? <laughs> Rhetorical question. <laughs> Just to avoid any embarrassment if there's a bit of tension in your household. Uh, husbands, love your wives. As what? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, of water with the word, verse 27 of Ephesians 5, so that he might present the church where? It's the church that gets presented to Jesus Christ. You do know that, don't you? Did you know that where the ecclesia met, there is a beamer seat? Those of you who know theology will know what that means when you think about Revelation. The beamer is the judgment seat of God. Right? Um, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There's a lot of work to do, I'm telling you. You cannot judge Jesus' standards by what you've seen somewhere else. You've got to judge it based on the word of God. That's what's going to happen. Sanctify means to set apart, to be used specifically. No, you can sanctify your glasses. It may sound weird. In, in a big picture sense, it means you just use them for what they were designed for. Sanctification is, is being used for what it was designed for. So the big picture. But when it comes to faith and Christianity and our walk with Christ, it actually means to make holy. So it's, it's called out of and then made holy. So it's not just what it's designed to be used for. So Jesus is wanting us to be sanctified. We've got to cooperate with him in sanctification. We've got to want to be separated from the world in its, its practice that's wrong, but in the world so that we can be salt and light. It's a paradox. But we've got to be holy. And holy is 
doing the right thing, doing what God wants us to do, doing the stuff that we read about in the Scriptures, living it, carrying it. So sanctification and cleansing is the physical, moral um, changing of who we are to be clean. It goes on to say, to remove every wrinkle and blemish. But what does that do for us? It removes guilt. See, the benefit to us is not only do we get cleaned up by Jesus, the guilt that goes with the failure of life is also cleaned up. Isn't that amazing? Every one of us are here only because of what Jesus has done, not because of what a group of people conceived as a good idea. We're here because of what Jesus Christ has done for us personally, individually, corporately, and there is no restriction on what he can do with us when he wants and how he wants but we've got to be willing to be people who follow that and see our destiny. The destiny is that we will be a church, an ecclesia that is with Christ. That is with Christ. So how should we love the church? Just like Jesus loves our church. Just like Jesus loved the church and loves the church. And it goes on. So how can we love the church? Carrying on with Ephesians 5. Husbands love your wives in the same way as husbands love their wives. Husbands should love your wives as their own bodies. Maybe you don't love your body. Maybe you don't love your wife. He who loves his wife loves himself. This is Ephesians 5, 28, 29, 30. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. He loves us, and he is going to be with us he nourishes us and he cherishes us. What does to nourish mean? It means to feed and to promote growth. When you're nourishing something, when you're nourishing it, you are giving sustenance to it. That's what Jesus is doing for us. Our response is, how can we love the church? We should be doing the same thing. We should be feeding the church. We should be nourishing the church. You may have never heard anyone ever say this before. But you're not just here to be part of a group that worship Jesus, but you're here to nourish and to cherish what he nourishes and cherishes. We're called to be like Christ, to be imitators. We're here to follow his course, to hear his voice, to nourish, to feed and promote growth. If our contribution is financially zero, then are you nourishing this church? If it's mediocre and just, oh, well, you can have a bit of a cane offering... Is that nourishing the church? It's not, is it? Is it promoting growth? Is our language promoting growth? Is our encouragement of one another promoting growth? Is our willingness to go the extra mile promoting growth? Is our tenderness able to promote growth? What is, is our lifestyle? You could make a list. How do I nourish and how do I promote growth and feed this church? How do you do it? What, where? Ask God. God, maybe God... By faith, what can I do more in these areas? And what is it you want to put in my life to be able to do that? Who knows? Who knows? But to cherish is to cultivate with care and affection, to nurture. It's Mother's Day. I heard a funny thing about a mother once, a little child wanted to climb a tree, and this kid's running towards the tree and, and starts to climb. Mum says, Billy, Billy, get down out of the tree. No, I'm going to climb the tree. No, if, if you climb that tree and you fall out, you can break both legs. And then you'll want to come running to me, but you won't be able to. And I'm thinking, uh-uh. But God is, is caring about us. He, he, he wants us to nourish what he wants to nourish. He wants us to cherish what he cherishes. 
He wants us to cultivate with care and nurture what we've got responsibility for. Whether you're a life group leader, whether you're a team leader, whether you're not in those responsibilities yet, it's, it is the church that he is preparing for himself. Interesting, there's a little flag on the board. Can you see that tiny little flag? Anyone recognize that, that nationality? Anyone's tiny? It's a little flag. Bulgarian. I don't know if Max is in here. Max came up to me last Sunday and said, oh, Max only came to faith recently through the Pebbles connections. Amazing, very, very bright man, Max. He got a PhD in something extraordinary. I can't even explain what that PhD is. But he said to me last Sunday, I, I, I know he'll forgive me for mentioning this, but he just said to me, I just love Jesus and I'm telling my friends. And, and I realized that they will never be able to come to our church because some of them are Bulgarians, they don't even speak English. So I said to Max, Max, why don't you speak to the translation team? There were seven translations into Portuguese, I think, last Sunday. I said, why don't you speak to the, the, the translation team and offer to do Bulgarian translation and invite your friends to come? He, went, he looked at me and said, I couldn't do that. I said, yes, you could. You could do that. He did. <laughs> so we might be translating into Bulgarian as another language, because Max saw the opportunity to do it. I think that's awesome, don't you? I think it's amazing. You know, I think it's amazing that we have dimensions within one culture with so many different nationalities, and these opportunities are coming up. I think it's amazing. How can we love the church? See the opportunities. Rick Warren says, A great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. That's it. I think it's a simple and brilliant observation. But we must not stay the same. We can't stay the same. We cannot be the same. We cannot stay the same. We cannot stay the same as we were in 2018. We cannot do it. We have to change. We have to see that God is wanting to grow us. We must not become satisfied. We must not want to kick back. We must not. Because if we do, that's the human nature saying, I've done enough. I've done enough. But God is going to make us uncomfortable. We must reshape and grow. Bromley's 329,400 people as of 2017, so we're told. 90% of our population are unclear about what life's all about. They are uncertain about their future and they are unsaved. That alone tells me we cannot sit back and be comfortable. That alone, let alone the opportunities down various routes of opportunity. We haven't even got time this morning to start unpacking the ministry areas. Every area of our ministries could grow. Every area, every single area, every growing ministry in BC could multiply and could double. Everything. We've invested in staffing in this last year. We've started opening opportunities in schools. We're in one and a half schools at the moment. Why couldn't we be in five? Why couldn't we be a, a hub for trafficking conversations? It's not because we don't want to, but we haven't quite got there yet. But there are things happening this year. There's going to be a, a trafficking seminar for AOG nationally in this building um, uh, before the summer. Someone is coming from the States who's the global, global coordinator of all trafficking for AOG worldwide. There's 70 million people in AOG, and she's the lead professor of Vanguard University. Is going to be in this building later this year. What could we do? What could we do? Every life group, are we, could we baptize, Rob, Rob threw it out, our times, because we started slightly late because of the barrier problem, 
But our, I'm telling you, could we baptize every month again? We did it in 2016. Could we see people coming to faith every Sunday? Could we have different life group leaders baptizing people that have come to faith through your life groups? Could we, could we multiply our ministry profiles in various parts of the world? The answer is that we can do all of it. We've got to. We've just got to nourish and cherish and get involved in it. Now, we've got to be careful about everything. We've got to do things in good order. But this week, and with this I'm going to finish actually, is a week of prayer and fasting. This is one of the most exciting moments in our now history as BCC. No debt, every opportunity, a flourishing church where people are coming to faith. Last Sunday, actually Tamsin, you don't mind me saying this, texted me in the week, didn't you Tamsin? There were too many new people in that second service for the team to handle the new here people. Isn't that true? Right? And that's without us turning the gas up on that one. So could more people join the new here team to take that pressure off? Could we have multiple new here life groups? Could we have multiple multinational life groups in this church? Could we, could we open up? So, we're only limited by our thinking at the moment, but we could do it. Worship team, come join me. Our time's gone. I hope you're catching something this morning. This is definitely a, a huge thank you for what everyone is already doing. And we love what you're doing. Could the worship team release their own songs? Could the worship team become a flag? Could they be singing the songs of the house? Could, could we produce music in this place? Could we do that? Could we raise up leaders to our academy in this place? Could we... I think God's already doing it, by the way. There are people already in the church with some of this in your heart. Could we multiply our tech teams and our sound teams and our media teams so Luke gets a day off once a, once a week? <laughs> no, we want to say, no, we, don't want, we want to give people... We, could we carry the responsibility? Could we, what's in your heart? Maybe your heart's stopped at the moment because your mind is all about, oh, I can't do. This week of prayer and fasting could be the week that unlocks the God potential in you. If you start the week thinking, no, I'm just the same old me. I'm going to do what I did in 2015, 16, 17, 18. What if God said 2019 is a change year and next year you're going to see a completely different person? <laughs> anyway, praise God. Let's stand. Worship team, listen to the song. <laughs>